welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Glad you're able to join us today. I'm your host, Drew DeGrotto, coming in from, I was just about to say Honesdale, guys. It's been, I've been, what, four months, five months now, in Dunmore, Pennsylvania, just outside of Scranton. And we have our program directors with us today, Scott. How are you doing, Scott Smelter? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you today? Doing very good, thank you. And Jonathan Sadler. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Drew, how are you? Thank you. I'm doing very good. And uh, Stephen Rouse from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. How are you doing? Doing well. Good to be here. Good to have you here. I, I forgot to mention that uh, Scott and Jonathan are from working with the church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Glad you guys are with us. If you're coming in on the Bible app, as I remind everyone each week, please uh, use the Q&A button or the chat button. Click on that and have that window up. Let me just shut this other noise down. And uh, give us your questions and comments as we go through the, the, the subject matter today. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, do the same thing there. We're monitoring all of the information or chat information coming in. So Stephen, uh, we have a question that came in from one of our viewers this past week. Why don't you get him start off and read, read the question of what, what we're talking about today. Yeah, so this is a really helpful question that came in uh, from PJ, and it's one that is really relevant in our culture and our society right now, just because our society is a little bit obsessed with the concept of work. And uh, also, there's a lot of questions going on right now with, I don't know, gender roles and men and women and, and lots of things like that. So PJ asks, um, was wondering if you can make an episode talking about work and the purpose of work. And then he added a note about men and women uh, there at the end. And so this is a great question, very relevant. Um, so I hope we can have a biblical discussion on this today. So let's begin in Genesis and just somebody sum up Genesis 1 for us briefly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Thumbs it up pretty well. <laughs> Six days he, he works. And, uh, and really, it's an unfortunate chapter division because Genesis 2 is the seventh day at the very beginning of the chapter. But uh, God creates the heavens and the earth and all the host of them. This is Genesis 2, 1. And then verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So he worked seven day, uh, six days out of the seven. And then on that sixth day, chapter one says he made man and woman. And in chapter two, we have more about the creation of man and woman. And we have, where, where did man and woman get put in Genesis chapter two? In a garden. In a yeah, garden. in the garden of Eden. Was it a nice place? It was very good. Very, it was perfect, wasn't it? And uh, it's wonderful, wonderful. Was there work? Now, you're probably asking the question, work before they sinned? Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was work to do before they fell. Yeah. That's right. So let's take a look there in Chapter 2. And um, it mentioned, so our first reference to tilling the land is in what verse? 15. 
right, so, Jonathan, would you read that for us, please? Yeah, so this is after um, God has created man and he's put him in Eden and it describes the garden in the, in the verses before verse 15. And then in verse 15, it says, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And then the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And also back in verse five, it said, uh, for God had not caused it to rain. There was no man to work the ground. So before the creation of Adam, no man to work. So he puts Adam there and he's to work and, and keep and tend the garden. So it being a place of beauty and perfection and after the curses, we see that Adam is not going to get to stay in the Garden of Eden, and he's still going to have to till the land, but what's going to be, we'll read it in a minute, but let's just jump ahead. What's going to be one of the changes? Uh, it's going to be harder to work the ground. There's going to be a lot of problems. And specifically? Sweat. Yeah, have... Go ahead, Stephen. Jonathan said, there's going to be thorns. It's going to be difficult for him to work the ground. Yeah. And if you've ever tried to grow stuff, I, you know, weeds are a problem. Uh, it's one thing to just grow the nice plant, plant the plant, grow the plant. It's another thing to have these thorns and thistles coming in and taking over. So in the garden- I didn't, I didn't realize how true that was until my good friend Rod, one of the brethren up here, he said, oh, if you want to help with the garden, I'll give you a whole row. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh-uh, did that one year. It is way too much work. Now, I did enjoy the fruit of the land after, you know, after it was old, but the work, it was, yeah, yeah, a lot of work, but work was not part of the curse. It's the, it, how, how would you describe it? If in chapter two, they're in paradise and he's to work the garden and in chapter three, he's going to, what's, what's the change? Well, it's still work. Yeah, I thought of it more in terms of work itself, having something productive to do that brings forth a fruit that's useful. That's a blessing. But toil is the curse. The, the sweat, the hard, you know, the, the labor, the resistance, the frustration, it's not cooperating with me. And so it seems like Adam, when he was tilling the garden and things, I mean, I don't know exactly how that would have been, but if you just like, planted some seed here and like oh there's a plant oh, oh there's a plant you know i don't know what it would have been like uh, how much work was involved but the earth was cooperating in a way that it was not cooperating after the curse so toil is the word i think of for the post-curse world so seth after he you know he's going to go back and visit adam and eve you know spend a few days back with adam and eve and or a week or so leaves his garden comes back and in the meantime, you know, a briar patch has come up in the middle of the squash and, and, and everything else. This is not good. So after the sin, let's look at the curses. There's several things interesting to learn from these curses. Of course, the blessing of the garden, and as Jonathan read, you can eat of any of the trees except this one. Don't eat of that one. Then the serpent comes along, and what does he say? Well, he basically says like, the, can't eat of that tree. He really didn't mean that, did he? 
And let's just note this. I want you to notice the message of rebellion. Two things in his message, and it still applies today. You don't need to fear God, and you can exalt yourself. So he says, did God say that? You're not going to die. Bottom line, don't be afraid of God. Don't pay attention to God. If you eat it, you're going to be wise like God. And today, when we are highly exalting and respecting God in our hearts and not trying to exalt ourselves, do we do well? Yes. When we're not reverencing God and we're exalting ourselves, what do we tend to do? It's getting nasty real quick. Yes. Eve sins, Adam sins. And so somebody read for us the curses, please. In Genesis 3, uh, starting in verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. What are some lessons, in just considering our topic for today, what are some things to notice and learn from this section? I've seen it put together helpfully in a, a chart. I'm going to share my screen here uh, real quick. I've just thought this is uh, useful to think of it this way, that in creation, you've got man and woman together in a garden. God blesses them, says be fruitful and multiply. And the man, again, has this dominion given over the earth. He's to work it, to let it bring forth its fruit. And they multiply. There's children that come from this union. But then in the curses, um, you've got the man is going to rule over the woman, but there's this question about the desire. Uh, her desire will be for him, but he'll rule over you. And so there's, there's some friction that's going to happen in this relationship. And then both the man and the woman have curses related to kind of their domain. The right. man, there's this toil from the, the, the ground and the woman now you're going to bring forth children with pain. So there's something a lot more difficult. And if you've ever seen a woman give birth or heard about that, it is an ordeal. And so this, it just seems like all the relationships, there's kind of a wrench thrown in here by the curses. And sin just messes up every dimension of this. Maybe we'll talk about this later, but it's just interesting to see how each of these are reversed in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. Nice. and how it all goes together. But we can talk about that when we get to it. But just talking about the curses, it's just interesting to see how this messes everything up. Go ahead with that from Ephesians 5. Uh, now, I want to point out one thing here. The text says, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. 
um, in pain, you'll bring forth children. So it might've been that it would have been uncomfortable before, but now it's going to be really, really painful. But I really like what you're doing here with going and go ahead and take us through Ephesians 5 and, and show us some things there, Stephen. That looks really good. Sure. Yeah. So, so when we come to Ephesians 5, we have uh, the, the wives and husbands addressed in the latter part of that chapter. And what is the primary direction given to the wives in Ephesians 5? To submit. They're to submit. And, and here, this kind of counteracts the idea of the man having to rule over the woman. It's like, no, she willingly submits to him. And again, this is not just supposed to be a domineering relationship. What's the primary direction that God gives to the man? To love. Husbands, love your wives. So her, her desire is for him or contrary to him, depending on your translation. But he is to love his wife and give himself for her as Christ did for the church. And this is a beautiful model for the marriage relationship. And it counteracts the effects of the curses. Then with the children, children are told at the beginning of chapter 6 to do what to their parents? Honor honor and obey their parents. And so then, again, there's kind of a counteraction on some level of the curse there. And then fathers and really parents together are told to do what for their children? Train, Train their children. Train them, discipline them, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so in Christ, the model that we're given counteracts almost every dimension of the curses that we see in Genesis chapter 3. And so this relationship is one that is helpful to realize like what's going on here the things that sin has broken christ has come to restore and that includes our relationships with each other and with work and with all of these things very good and while we're on this let's just follow this thing for a minute then get back and focus on work in the beginning they're in the garden they're in fellowship they lose that they're cast out the last book in the New Testament, as it's arranged in our Bibles, Revelation, the last chapter, Revelation 22, they're brought back, they're in fellowship and in the presence of God, and what tree does it describe as being there? Tree of life. Yeah, which is not the forbidden tree back in, in, in Genesis. It was, let them eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But after they've sinned, they're kicked out so that they don't have access to a different tree. What tree was that? The tree, of tree of life. Tree of life. And in Revelation 22, it's back to the tree of life. Of course, there's a lot of symbolic things in Revelation, but the beauty of the picture there is what? It's kind of like from garden to garden. And in between, there are a lot of pain and a lot of pain and a lot of thistles. Uh, and what do we call it when a woman goes into that terrific pain. Labor. Labor. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, if you've ever, like Drew described, working in that garden one summer, and it's just, that's work. So I was, I was weeding out a section yesterday, and weeds and weeds, and some of them, you know, shallow roots, and they're, they're coming up, shake the dirt off. Others, you know, big roots like a carrot, and I'm twisting it to get it to come out. And then I come to a patch of poison ivy, which has got to be part of the curse. <laughs> so, um, it's, uh, most man better translation is thorns, thistles, and poison ivy. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> it's a variant. Yeah, there, you, you've got labor and difficulties. And then you have, you have Ecclesiastes, 
which is about, I did all this work and it's vanity of vanities and striving after sun and you die, which is the other part of the curse, you know, till you return to dust. All right. So that's where we start there. Let's jump forward to uh, Israel. Come, go ahead, Stephen. And John, go ahead, Jonathan, and then Stephen. Yeah, so one thing you mentioned in Ecclesiastes, there's this interesting balance that you see, or that I've noticed throughout the Bible, and we can talk about this some more, I guess. But even within Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the, um, the viewpoint of work and toil at its core, it's, it's a good thing. It becomes more difficult after sin, but God gave it as a gift. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 13. Uh, he says also, uh, this is some of the things he's found out, also that everyone should eat, drink, and take toil in his, all his toil, or take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Um, so work, it's it's a gift. It's supposed to be a gift, which th that's an interesting theme. You can follow through the Bible. The gifts that God gives, often Satan will use those and morph those and change those into hard, difficult, sinful things. Very good. Stephen. I've, I've kind of wondered about, because there's one part kind of missing in this, and that's like, what's the turnaround for the toil bit? I know we're talking a little bit about that, but I think about passages like 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain, uh, which is kind of interesting talking about Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. It feels like, you know, we do all this and you go around and around. And at the end of the day, what do you gain from it? Uh, but in the Lord, there is a redemption of our labor even now um, in him. And again, that's not a perfect parallel to this, but just something I was thinking about. And you have the emphasis uh, of Jesus in John 6 when they followed uh, him for food. And he said, work not for the bread that perishes, but for that of eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean, as we're going to be seeing here clearly today, don't work. You need to work, but there's one work that's more important and more lasting than the other one. Uh, so let's jump forward. The Israelites have been in bondage to Egypt, and they are slaves, and they are working, 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 and they're going to be given deliverance, and if they would have obeyed, they would have gotten to go into God's rest, Psalm 95, but Psalm 95 says, you know, because they rebelled and wouldn't obey, uh, I, I sworn my wrath, you will not enter into my rest. So they should have been able to go from this slavery and this hard labor through a time of trust and testing into a, a place that God calls his rest. May, Hebrews 4 will go ahead and describe how eternal life is that for us. But as they come out of Egypt, uh, first off in Exodus 16, what are they told about the manna? And then what is the fourth commandment when we get to the Ten Commandments. Well, it was the Sabbath day. Um, they're to observe this rest every seventh day, and God's not going to give manna on that day. You get gather twice as much on Friday, so you'll have enough through the weekend, or at least through Saturday. And um, then they're told, you know, no work. You, you your animal, the sojourner, like it nobody works on the seventh day it is holy to god 
and they would get together and they would worship on that day. They'd read from the Torah. They would, uh, you know, focus on God. And the idea behind some of that is their time didn't belong to them. They belonged to God. And this day is holy and set apart to them because we were actually just reading in Nehemiah, the big temptation for the people was apparently the nations around them were seven days a week, man. There's money to be made, wheeling and dealing. You got to keep your nose to the grindstone. And so they would come to Israel sometimes on the seventh day and say, hey, you guys want to you guys want to trade? You guys want to buy and sell? And that's what they wanted to do. And one of the things that they do in the days of Nehemiah is say, uh-uh, you can come to the gates, but like gates are closed. We are not open for business on the Sabbath day. And um, there's a real temptation there. When, when we work and we gain from our work, we want to do it more and more and more and more to the neglect of God's things. And God says, stop on the seventh day and do not work anymore. You got six days to work, but stop on the seventh day. Scott, you're muted. Other comments on that before we go ahead? Very good. All right. Um, that's ahead, that's John. also, sorry, I had my mic muted uh, trying to give that, that uh, principle. I think the idea of just being overwhelmed with work to the point where you just, the purpose of why you're working is because you want more and more and more and, and work is a good thing. It, it, you know, keeps us, you know, active. It gives us blessings and benefits and direct benefits. And um, for us, a lot of the times now that's direct monetary gain and things like that. And those are good things to have and to get, but there's still a purpose behind using those. And so the danger of just working for the, for the purpose of gathering more and more stuff for yourself is still a real danger for people today. It wasn't just for the Israelites. And that's what Paul writes to Timothy uh, in First Timothy chapter 6. Um, in uh, really a lot of that chapter six talks about this idea, but I'll just read a couple of verses. Um, in verse nine uh, of First Timothy six, he says, "But those who desire to be rich will fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, it is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. And so Paul just, there, there's briefly, you can read a lot more in First Timothy 6 about riches and how we're supposed to approach those, but that's one thing that he brings up. Don't get drawn in by the love of money. Don't get, you know, so overwhelmed with work and gaining things for yourself that you, you know, start neglecting the things of God and ultimately lose your own soul. And it's also kind of like the parable that Jesus told, you know, what, what about the man who went out and built bigger and bigger barns and bigger barns? And then the Lord said, you fool, to this night your soul is required of you. Um, you know, what profit does it, does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And it's the same kinds of ideas. Very good. Stephen. I also think about the temptation we have to work, work, work so that I can say I'm a self-made man. I got here. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I got here. And God wants us to work. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when Moses is writing to the children of Israel, he says, watch out with that kind of attitude. And in Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18, Deuteronomy 8, 17, he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Even our ability to work and to do fruitful labor comes from God. And so at the end of the day, when we work and we receive the due reward of that, 
we still give thanks to God because he's the one who's given us the ability, the power to get wealth. And in a few minutes, we're going to start talking about work and gender roles. And although we'll see there's some overlapping, we're also going to see there's some important distinction that's really getting missed today in our culture with some dangerous consequences. Uh, but before we go there, let's keep talking about what's just been introduced. And I want you to think of some passages and emphasize these two things. One, the nobility and the purpose and the obligation and duty to work, to take care of yourself. But then above and beyond that, you're not just working for yourself. You're working so that you can help those who can't work for themselves or for some other re reason are in need. So let's, uh, let's start with that second part. And uh, it's already been introduced by Jonathan. And then we'll come back and look at some proverbs about uh, the need to work for yourself. But what are some passages, like Jonathan mentioned the rich young ruler, no, not the rich young ruler. The rich fool. The barns that he built. Oh, what am I going to do? Look at all my stuff. What am I going to do? I know I'll build bigger barns and then I will sit back basically and have ease and I'll have plenty of stuff for me the rest of my life. And I will say, eat, drink, and be merry, you know, and uh, that night he dies. Uh, what's, what's some other passages that point out our work is not just for us? In the section in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, where Paul is discussing putting off the old man, putting on the new man, um, one of the things that he mentions, uh, there's, there's this constant pattern throughout Ephesians 4 of stop doing this and replace that with this good thing. So put this evil thing away, start doing this good thing. When he gets to Ephesians 4 and verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal. So stop stealing, but rather let him labor, so do work, doing honest work with his own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. So it's this like way above and beyond, like quit stealing and do honest work to get the things that you have so that you can give those things to people. Um, it's not just to get them for yourself. Right, right. And we'll come back to that idea in a few minutes toward the end of the program. Now, what about some Proverbs that just show the importance of taking care of yourself and the folly and the foolishness when a person doesn't. I'm thinking about Proverbs 11, 25, that just talks about the idea of generosity. This is a more general principle, but he says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. And again, there's the idea of if we have an abundance, it's not for ourselves. It's to be giving to other people. There's lots of places in Proverbs that talk about the value of diligence. I'm thinking about Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so if we're not working hard, we're not going to be able to be generous. If we're not working hard, we're actually gonna end up getting mugged, basically. He says, like, your, your, your folly now, your, your laziness now is gonna come back to bite you. And so, work hard. 
-hmm. What are some more proverbs, Jonathan? And then what are some more proverbs about laziness? Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, well, uh, I had another proverb, not about laziness, but about, well, I guess kind of about laziness. It doesn't use that word. Um, but in Proverbs 12, 11, it says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Um, yeah. So there's those two opposites. And, and that kind of reminds me of the message that Paul brings up to the Thessalonians a couple of times. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. That kind of thing. You work yeah. for, you know, your right to eat kind of thing. Proverbs also says a man's hunger will drive him to work. Now, a wise man doesn't have to wait till he's hungry. But there, and another proverb says the son that sleeps, you know, through the growing season is going to be hungry come harvest, you know. And so some people, they don't have any ambition. They don't have enough self-respect. They're lazy. They don't want to work. Well, what happens then is you end up being hungry. At what point did the prodigal son come to himself? He was eating with the pigs. He was at nothing. He lost everything, gave it all up. Yeah, and he's feeding the pigs, wishing he could eat their food. And right before it says he came to himself, the text says no man gave him anything. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm being lazy, I, I need to end up being hungry. I need to be, because Proverbs says a man's hunger will drive him to work. So it's, it's, it's consequences in life should teach me, okay, this is stupid. You know, I need to get busy and do something. That passage is Proverbs 16, verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him and his mouth urges him on. And then there's another proverb describes the lazy man. He's so lazy, he puts his hand in his, you know, mush whatever it is and then he doesn't even have enough initiative to lift it to his face <laughs> so oh, it's kind yeah. of pathetic I, I the one that uh, came to mind was the the proverbs ten twenty six, the, the like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes which oh does that stuff burn right so is the lazy one to those who send him yeah, and there was another 19. one that's not the one I was looking for. I thought the one I was looking for had something about uh, it's like it's like a hedge of thorns. The, to the lazy, his work was like the hedge. I, I thought I had it, but that's it's not the one I had. You familiar with that one? Now, the reason I say that is because if, we already got the thorns when we're working. But if you're lazy, it's now a hedge of thorns. Everything around you is worse. Proverbs 19.24 was the other one. Uh, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> That's lazy. I don't know why, but I always picture it as a bowl of Cheetos. It just seems like the thing that like, he's got his hand in the... I need more Proverbs. I think that uh, we're having some connection issues here. We've got a delay, and it's kind of garbled. Yeah, I think that was Scott. I think so. So we've got kind of a slow connection there. Scott, can you hear us okay? I think he froze. Okay. So we've got kind of a slow connection there. All right. So as we think about this, we, we want to be able to be people who work hard, who provide for others, who are 
focused on how we can give with the wealth that God has first given to us. Uh, all of these principles kind of come together to make it to where we want to be more like Christ who came not to, to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life for other people. And that's what our work ultimately becomes is to give ourselves for other people. So as we kind of come into the last third of the show here, um, what can we say about gender roles and all of this and men and women working? Um, I'll just start out as we go back to Genesis chapter two. Um, again, when he puts man in the garden, uh, initially it's just the man. <laughs> um, he puts man there in the garden to till, to keep the, the ground. And again, it worked at that point as a blessing, but he puts him there in the garden and it's man's role to keep the, the ground, to, to take care of it. And um, then the woman is given and they're told together to be fruitful and multiply. And it often seems that the woman's role is more focused on the children, on the taking care of the home. Um, and the man is out working, uh, making sure that they're provided for and taken care of. Uh, but kind of going from there, what do we see other, other passages we can talk about when it comes to gender roles in this and questions about um, how work goes with that. So like thinking about in um, in First Timothy 5, um, there's a section that in kind of the, the first half of that chapter that talks about um, honoring widows, taking care of widows, um, those who their, their spouse has died and they're old, can't take care of themselves anymore. Um, and uh, there's this discussion that goes on in First Timothy about whether that should be the church should take care of them or individual family members being taken care of them. Um, and in verse, uh, verse 8 of 1 Timothy 5, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, now I'm not hundred percent sure, and maybe you can correct me on this, Stephen or, or Drew, if you guys know, um, but the, the word that's used there is masculine. <laughs> um, so provide for the members of his household. I don't know, going back to the Greek, I don't know, Stephen, I know that you've done some Greek stuff. I don't know if you can recall off the top of your head, um, if that's masculine or not, but that's part of the role of a, of a man being in their families to provide for their family members. Um, that's there, um, which that's I think right. is really as the head of the house. Yes. And what we're going to see is that there are examples in the scripture of women who do a wonderful job with work. Um, in Proverbs 31, for instance, uh, kind of the ideal picture of the woman. Uh, in Proverbs 31, it talks about the excellent wife who can find. Uh, she's more precious than jewels. Um, and it says in verse uh, 14, uh, she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Um, she dresses herself with strength, makes her arms strong. And, um, and where is it? In verse, um, so she considers a field and buys it. Verse 16, I skipped over it. Uh, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. And so there are pictures in scripture of women working and of them considering a field, buy it. She's good with money. She's wise with this. I, I think about the example of Lydia uh, in the book of Acts with uh she's got her household again there's no mention of a husband in the picture i don't know if he had died or what was going on but she's a seller of purple um she has her own business and she's able to provide for paul and timothy and silas and luke she's got four 
four guys who are traveling and she's able to keep those four guys in act 16 because she has a place big enough to accommodate. Um, So there's some excellent examples of women working and providing in different situations. Yeah, and also similar to Lydia, um, back a few chapters before that in Acts 9, um, Tabitha Dorcas, who um, is, is well-liked and, and loved by all of the brethren there because of the good works and things that she's doing. Um, and so uh, Acts 9, verse 36, there was in Joppa this disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and she was full of good works and acts of charity. Um, and uh, she dies. And whenever she dies, um, they get asked Peter to come and uh, to come and help in some way. And in verse 36, as Peter rose and went with them, um, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room and the widows stood by him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. So there she's, you know, providing and doing work and helping those that are in need as well. And that's a, a really desirable trait um, that's there. Yeah. So with, with all that. What you're saying there, Stephen, then is that we're seeing examples of women are working, they're working in the home, they're working outside the home. So there are things that um, women can do and do uh, with authority from the scriptures, that it's not a narrow-minded role, but it is a role. Yeah. And with that, we do also see an emphasis on the woman's role in the home. Um, and on them taking care of the children. Look at Titus chapter 2 for a minute. And there's all sorts of exhortations to different groups here. Um, but look at what it says here in um, Titus 2, beginning in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So in all of the dimensions of this, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. There's not an advantage or disadvantage on age or gender, but we all have a role to play, and these roles complement each other. But one of the points that he does make is he's telling the older women to instruct the younger women. This is Titus 2 and verse 4 and 5. He says, so train the younger women, older women he's speaking to, They're to train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. That there is an emphasis, not to say that this is the only thing a woman can do, but that this is the natural role that God has given the woman. She is to work at home, love her husband, love her children, provide for them. And again, in Proverbs 31, she does consider a field and buy it. But most of the things she's praised for are things that she's doing for her husband, for her children, for her household. She's a worker, but she's primarily a worker at home. And again, some of these concepts are things that our society is kind of railing against and just saying that, oh, this should not be the case. It should not be the case. Women and men are equal. There's no difference. And that's just not biologically true. It's not spiritually true. There's a lot of problems with the direction our culture is going on this. Scott? 
Yeah, and, and let's take the Proverbs 31 woman. It doesn't mean she's 100% of her time at home because she, after she's made these garments, she goes to town, she sells them, you know, she's wholesaling them to the traders and stuff, but you basically see her centered in the home. She's very industrious, she's working hard, but she's really centered in her home and around and about her family. Uh, and she's also caring for the needy, as we mentioned, you know, her hand reaches out to the needy. She's, she's working hard, she's clothing her household, you know, uh, she's helping bringing income, she's giving uh, to the needy. And I want, to, I want to narrate something to help illustrate this point. Because starting a number of decades ago, uh, it became very normal for a man and a woman to get married. They both work in the workplace. A child comes, they still both work in the workplace. Can you usually take your infant to work? No. Sometimes you can. If you work from home, you can. If you, if in some other environments, you might be able to. But a very typical pattern has been: here's the couple, and, and here's what happens: guy meets girl. Guy is studying to be career X. Girl is studying to be career Y. He's expecting to make this much. She's expecting to make this much. They get married, and they realize what? Look what we got. And so now they start accruing debt based on this income. Oh, we can afford this nice of a house. We can afford this new of a car. We can afford this kind of vacation. We can afford this jet ski. And they're incurring debt, incurring debt, you know, big, big debt based on this income. And then along comes a baby who's going to take care of it. Here's the mom. So yeah, sometimes it, it's put off on, on grandma, but grandma didn't bring that baby into the world. That's not to say that families can't help each other, they can. But in Titus 2, it doesn't say older women raise the children for the younger women. You can help out, but Titus 2 says older women train the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, workers at home. That's the primary role there. And and other people, there's not a grandma around or she's busy taking care of some of the other cousins. She says, I don't have time for that. So where does the baby get put? Daycare. Daycare. And I don't have time to tell you some of the horror stories that I've run into on daycare, but very often somebody who is not sometimes particularly qualified and they will not be people that love their child as much as the natural parents should love their children. They're do it, it, an article in Reader's Digest years ago put this, you'll never find somebody who was basically saying, who will love your child as much for money as you should out of love. That's paraphrasing it, but it makes a point. So I want to quickly, let me see if I've got time to tell this story. What time do we have, Drew? Couple of minutes left. All right, so real quickly. Years ago, I'm in Czech Republic, we're having dinner with a family. She's an unbeliever, agnostic, or atheist. Uh, but they've invited us over. Me and my friend Mike Mara uh, are both there, and my wife. And we're, after dinner, we go through a walk in nature. Now, during this time, we got to know a good bit about this family. They're very careful with their money um, because they don't have a lot. He has a computer job. She has a computer job. I'm converting the currency to U.S. dollars, so you'll understand it. His income 
per year was $1,500, roughly. Per income, per year, $1,500. By doubling their income and both working full-time, they bring in $3,000 a year. They told us about a restaurant that they recommended we should try. They say, we go there every year. Then one of them remembered and corrected, actually, we didn't go last year because the price went up. And that was the India restaurant on Wenceslas Square. The price increase was $1.50. The price of a meal had gone up $1.50. So last year, they didn't go to their restaurant for the annual restaurant event. They, their daughters, they had two daughters, they liked bell peppers. Bell peppers were expensive for them, and so they didn't buy them very often. They said, every once in a while for a treat, we will buy one bell pepper and split it between the two daughters. Now, they managed to go on vacation to Switzerland. Through work, they were able to get some cheap train ticket travel. They took their own bedding, and they slept in the park. They took their own bread from the Czech Republic so they didn't have to buy food in, in Switzerland. They're not, in other words, when, you know, people go on vacation, you're getting a hotel, you're going out to, that's not what they're doing. They're walking around, seeing what's free, sleeping in the park, eating bread they brought from the Czech Republic. This is the question she asked. At the end of our walk, she said, do most women in America work? outside the home? And we said, yes, probably so. She said, do they do it because they want to or because they have to? That was a question she asked. Me. And then she added this, I do it because I have to. I wish I could stay home and be with my girls. But if she stayed home to be with her girls, now the family only has $1,500 for the whole year. And so she wanted to know, the women in America, do they do it because they want to or have to? I think a good model is when there, there's a um, financial advisor that recommends this. Before you have children and you got the dual income, learn how to live off of one of them and start putting the other one primarily to savings, like for a house or, you know, different things. Then when the baby comes along, somebody is there with that baby that's more important than anything you can buy. That baby is the most important of all of the possessions. It's more important than the house, the car, the boat, the vacation. That baby's important you've learned to be able to live on that one income. Babies need their moms. Children need their moms. And even, even little guys and, and older guys coming home. You know when a lot of teenage pregnancies occur, statistically? Between three and five in the afternoon. That's when a lot of conceptions take place. You know why? Because the kids are done at school and there's no adults at home. Kids need a parent. There's great value. It doesn't mean that there can't that a wife can't help you bring in income. Uh, the worthy woman is helping bring in income, but there is something really important about.
about being there for the children. And when we look at the curses, the curses on Adam had to do with providing for the family. The curses on Eve had to do with her relationship in the family. That's the primary thing. If you can have some extra things, great. But before we say, well, we have to have, I, I know we're over time, but I want to give one last thing real quick. Um, sorry, I ended up out. I had a bad signal, had to shut down, restart it. Years ago, my friend uh, uh, was, was studying with a couple and they'd asked for help because the family was kind of in crisis. The kids were not doing well at school. There was tension between the husband and wife. There wasn't much time. The, the wife would come home after 40 hour full career week and she's tired and she comes home and the family wants dinner and you know the kids you know need some discipline or training or attention or whatever but she's tired you know her husband likes to see her she's tired and it's just they're too stressed out kind of like the Berenstein's Bears book you know too much schedule and my friend said well have you considered maybe giving up that extra income so there's more time for the family their reply was, and give up all this? So how would you have answered that woman's question? I'm not talking about for everybody. There's people that they have to work. And there's people in difficult situations where, yeah, they have to work to put some food. But I'm talking about the typical average U.S. family where the kids are in daycare or being unsupervised at home while the parents are bringing more and more money in for the kids. How would you have answered that woman's question? Thank you. All right. Um, you guys have any other things that you want to bring up before we finish? Okay. Um, so thank you guys for uh, your discussion. Um, thank you to everyone that tuned in. This afternoon, sorry that we went a little bit longer than usual, but we hope that that is helpful for you all thinking about um, work and its purpose and the different roles um, that God's assigned for us. Uh, if you guys have any other comments or questions uh, about that topic or any other topic, you can let us know uh, and submit that to BibleQuest.tv and we'll be happy to uh, talk about that live or uh, talk with you privately about any questions that you have as well. But with that being said, we will finish for this week and hopefully see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.